introduce this then. Um, this is the Ink Studs Live panel. Uh, I'm Robin. Um, many apologies for Brandon Ray not being here. Um, he legally, if he left Canada, he wouldn't actually be able to get back into Canada. So <laughs> he'd rather stay at home than not be able to go back. So. I'm joined by Emma Rios, uh, who's what you can see in Pretty Deadly. And Dave Taylor, who your stop main stuff right now is the Doctor Who, yep. and Batman's a death I did, yeah. Uh, it's quite old now, it's years yeah. old, but the recent Doctor Who stuff. And then you have the book. Oh, yeah. The yeah. New, book that you have. new art book on my table if anybody wants one, only 20 pounds. <laughs> Self published. And Scott Snyder, um, whose work, a bunch of different stuff Batman, um, 
witches and uh, wake American vampire. Anything else I'm forgetting? That's good. Can't say not right. You're making me like tired already. <laughs> hearing about it, I'm like, man, I have so much to do. Uh, anything in high school you wrote that we should mention? <laughs> Um, so the idea was kind of get a bunch of friends together. Um, it was really supposed to have branding here too. Whip. Government got in the way, bureaucracy, blah, blah, blah. But I'm very happy to have all of you here joining me. Um, we emailed a little bit back and forth about some ideas to talk about the panel, but also uh, I'm very happy to have audience participation. So if folks have questions, Shoot up your hands. I hope I can see you because those lights are extremely bright. So, folks there, I can't really see very well. So, if I ignore you, it's not personal. It's because it's incredibly bright. <laughs> yeah, I should have brought like some kind of sunglasses or something. Maybe welding goggles. Yeah, that would work well. Yeah. Um, so, I guess maybe one of the things we can kind of jump off of is. Um, Talking about current influences that you bring into your work, um, that like things you're looking at, things you're reading, uh, things you're watching, music you're listening to, uh, what are some things that you see that have been kind of jumping into your work that you've been doing in the last while? Any of you? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to okay. start? Okay, sorry. Okay. Um, well, uh, I'm involved in three projects at the moment, so each one of them has a very different influences. Even from pretty deadly first art to pretty deadly art too, very different. Because, well, you will see that we are changing a bit the atmosphere or so and keeping that a surprise, but, but for example in pretty deadly I, I was pretty overwhelmed about the necessity of watching the Western movies to get the feeling of the Western life and everything. And um, I wanted to look for a specific aesthetic, like pretty baroque in general and surrealistic, following the path of Sergio Leone. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, it's classic shit, but, but his stuff is always very weird because he was a fan of surrealism himself. So when you see his movies, it's like this empty squares with long shadows and you know has this feeling of something weird. So now in the second arc the weirdness is getting more and more. <laughs> so I'm actually looking at one specific artist I was talking about in Twitter a couple of or something that uh, is called Stanislav Bekstinski, who is a Polish artist from the 70s and his stuff is like creepy as hell. Um, yeah, he's probably my main influence right now, for did at least. And the other two projects, one of them is uh, Eight House Mirror. Uh, that one I'm writing, so my influence basically writing and reading. So um, that's pretty much influenced by yeah anime from the 90s, but at the same time by some some philosophy by people like John Gray or people like that, because it's all about animals and nature and relationship with people and animals becoming people or so things like that. I'm curious like the philosophy stuff. What hmm. what's the philosophy you mentioned there? Uh young gray. And what's kind of the Yeah it's like about that uh, yeah well he has this idea of his he fights against this idea about science becoming some kind of new religion. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean it's quite pretentious talking about this. 
when when we are talking about big health actually, which is like <laughs> fantasy and, and you know like that. But it's true that, for example, I'm I'm a vegetarian myself, and I yeah, I have some some interest on thinking about yeah, the nature as something we can't control at all, even if I'm pretty much into science and you know I read that kind of stuff. But yeah, I'm. Instead of thinking about science as well, the thing that is going to save us all, I prefer, prefer thinking about the humbleness of Darwin and thinking that we are more like condemned to change anyway, whatever we do. So it's, it's a bit like that. So part of the house has been feeling many if it sounds super pretentious like that. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's true that I'm reading that, a bit of that. And, and, and the third one, I barely can talk about it, but it's a it's a clean sci-fi story, 60 pages, I'm writing and drawing, and the project will be released soon and announced soon, because with more people and everything, and this project I've been working with a neurologist. A neurologist? Yeah. So, <laughs> it's like more into the thing of children of men or something. I try to do some kind of scientific sci-fi. So it's like very different. Like on one hand, I pretty much about like the static, simply the deadly, and thinking all about that. And the other two projects like are grabbing different parts of my brain. So, yeah. Exciting. Yeah. I like the ideas of just like not being round in one <laughs> particular thing and just grabbing from yeah, all these things. Yeah. Oh, okay. Everything things. has a lot to do with what I like or I don't like or my interests or something, but. But it's true that, yeah, it's pretty much different stuff, like different parts of your brain working or, yeah, or interest or something. Yes. Yeah. Well, working on Doctor Who, um, I'm doing the 12th Doctor, the, the new incarnation. Um, the only sort of, well, we do lots of reference research for, um, to re remind myself of what Doctor Who was about. Because I had, I had sort of a, a concept of it when I first got the job and realised that concept was actually probably self-created and not very accurate. So I had to go back and do some research and look at old episodes. And I hadn't seen any um, for about 30 years after Tom Baker. There <laughs> <laughs> was quite a bit of a, a gap to do some research in. I had to dive in. There's so much to research. Because the, the last episode I saw, until Matt Smith took over, was was Tom Baker's leaving. I just I, I tried to get back into Doctor Who after Tom Baker. I never did. None of the doctors did it for me. Um, so, but I didn't want to. I wanted to find my own style of, a, of approach on the book. I wanted to keep in mind the historical point of view. The, the old. British Doctor Who comics that were so beautifully created. Knowing that I didn't have time to do that quality artwork because the, the schedule was so tight. Yeah. Um, and I, I admit the first two issues I've struggled. I think it would be obvious when you get to the third issue that I've found my doctor. You know, I have to draw him and, and to... Because uh, the, the BBC were very insistent on um, making sure that Capaldi looked much younger than he does on screen. <laughs> <laughs> which is the response I gave, which I thought it was silly. It's like the Cal Baker Dick Tracy. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, don't, yeah. Um, I thought, well, because I started drawing it before the show had aired, um, 
And so I, I, you look at Peter Capaldi, you can see that he's a certain age, certain lighting he looks older than you know, and he does in other lighting, but you know, he's going to be on screen. People are going to, when the comic comes out, people are going to see three or four episodes or five episodes, they're going to know what he looks like. Are the ladies going to look like an anime comic or something? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd gone that way, actually. I actually wouldn't be sitting here now if I had. So I, I kind of very, you know, I, I stripped all his, his character lines off his face to start with, which they approve. And as I've, as I've been doing the books, I've been just slipping them in, making them a little bit old. Each page he gets older. <laughs> <laughs> By the third issue, he actually looks like he does on screen. So, um, but to, 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 so I, I felt really hindered. I've never been sort of, I'm not, I'm not this isn't getting at the BBC, but it, it felt oppressive yeah. being forced to draw somebody the way somebody else perceives him. And, you know, executives often don't know how they perceive things. They think they do, and they, they say the words, but there's no clear structure there to what they're actually thinking. I certainly didn't get any sense out of it. But, so, um, so I think I've, I've settled into the, the third one now, but only because you're asking the, what sort of inspiration I got, or, you know, saw, was, was I went to Frank Robbins, who I haven't seen for a long time, I haven't read any Frank Robbins stuff mm -hmm. for a long time, um, what are some Frank Robbins titles to folks? Uh, Johnny Comet, was it? Um, I'm, my comet knowledge, as far as remembering like titles and dates, is really bad. He did a of stuff in the 70s. Very loose. Mm -hmm. um, do you know his stuff? No. Really. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody here knows Frank Robbins? No. Oh, I'm going to have to go. Hold <laughs> <laughs> it, you are. Um, he's he was brilliant. Um, some of his he did a lot of superhero stuff, which was very weird. Not as not as weird as Ditko would do it. Sort of in between Kirby, but he was very. I, I think he may have actually worked with Milton Kane. I was going to say because there's a little bit of similarity stuff like Toad. Mm. Like he was one of those kind of guys. Whether he knew them or not, I don't know. Um, but he was like a very loose, cartoony tough, tough or yeah. whatever, yeah. Um, so to loosen myself up, to sort of remind myself that artwork can be other than anal, I, I went to Frank Robbins and, and it's not like I've, you know, I, I sit down, look to Frank Robbins and go, right, I'm ready to draw now. It's just like in the evenings I might think, right, well, tomorrow I've got to remember to be a bit looser and I'll, I'll sit and have a look through one of his books or something. I'm very, I've always been very conscious about being affected by other people's artwork. Um, I've fought it, you know, I've, I've fought against it. And there are books that I'd love to read, which I've, and in fact, Brian Talbot's Luther Arkwright, a classic I've never been able to read because a friend of mine, when I was writing a story years ago, um, which I'm still planning on doing, um, he said, oh, don't read Luther Arkwright. It's, it's a bit too similar and it might, filter through and influence you too much. Yeah. There was a similar kind of overall feel of the character. And he said, well, you know, be careful. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like there's that mix of whether or not it'll filter into the work or whether or not you're kind of fighting against that work too. Mm. Like, you'll change to not. Yeah, go against like what you might have done naturally, yeah. So yeah. I just, I, I, I try not to, to get influenced by other people's work. So it, it, it's, yeah. 
think when I retire, if I do retire, there'd be shed loads of books I could happily yeah. sit down and read at last. You know, wow, I can read this without being I don't care about the influence there. So, yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I, I, I do a lot of research before I start each, you know, each project. And then once I start, I make a rule that I won't do anymore just because I feel like for me at least it can become a rabbit hole that I go down and I wind up using it to procrastinate where I feel like, especially with American Vampire or something where it's historical, you can always keep looking more and more fascinating details up and just compiling this kind of cumulative, you know, mountain of stuff that's great that you can use, but I know it, you feel it in your gut at some point when you realize like, I'm just doing this to avoid writing. <laughs> so um, I try and do a lot before I begin and um, take in as many sort of um, influences, both, I guess, fictionally that I think will, will work uh, for the kind of structure I want. So for example, like um, for The Wake, which I knew had this big break coming in the middle, I was trying to read stuff that was maybe a little bit more irreverent or a little bit more, um, a little bit more uh, experimental and structure for prose or fiction and stuff like that. And then just to get first to, to you know get brave about it, but also just to see how how they how it's accomplished sometimes. Like, and then once I start, I'll sort of leave it all alone, and I'm I try not to go back to anything that's would influence me. So while writing Batman, for example, like I try not to read any other Batman and that kind of thing when I'm in a middle of an arc or watch anything, you know, Batman related that's going to have any material that's similar just because it gets intimidating. For me at least, it just gets, I, I start to see things that I wish I was doing or characters I want to use and it just starts to go off the rails. I have to sort of put on horse blinders and just do it. So, and then I have a rule like, I try my wife and I, I'm not allowed to read comics sort of after 10. <laughs> it's like, so when I go up to bed, you know, when I'm reading in bed, I try and read nonfiction or fiction and stuff like that. So I love National Geographic. It's my favorite since I was a kid. My dad, had, uh, his, he has this two shelves in his office of just everything going back to like 1982, you know, so and National Geographic and the Titanic issue and all that stuff. And I just love it. So. It's sort of my evening reading a lot of the time. So it's just totally taking. That's great. Over. I don't know. Slob with slob. The research thing is like you always get hooked to do the research. It's like yeah. crazy. Yeah. I remember even when I started Freaky Deadly, actually, which is even you know it's fantasy after all. So we didn't want to be accurate, but I couldn't help like, okay, I'm going to choose a revolver. Which one? You know, yeah. it was crazy. Like, okay, so the COVID one maybe because this was the one who was using this guy and this guy and it's very famous. You know that. Yeah, and we always, with historical stuff too, with like American Vampire, we'll always, you reach a point where you realize you're sure you're getting something wrong, you know? And there'll always be like one guy who calls you out, and he's like, that helicopter wasn't used until, you know, <laughs> 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 they, they never do them, they're in your head. Yeah, <laughs> but then I, we have a policy where if somebody calls us out, they just get the book free. <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out, here you go. <laughs> I spent two months just researching 1938 when I was doing Batman Death by Desire because Chip was very Chip Kid was very insistent that it was set that in that year, um, and I, I did. I got addicted. I just, yeah. Two months before I drawn any any pages, um, I was I was also learning how to draw the book because I was doing it in a, in a new style that was demanded by Chip. So, but during that two months of learning to draw. And the new style was just 
every hour was spent researching. Down to hand, door handles, light fittings. I didn't want those people to just that one person. My entire lifetime. That that door handle in about page forty-eight. That wasn't built in nineteen thirty-nine. I've been really angry at it. You know, not at him, but at me, not knowing that the handle was wrong. This silly amount of work we do. We, we don't, we don't sort of, it never appears in our work. You know, hours and hours of, of yeah. stuff that you filter out. It's kind of fun how that can also take you, kind of force you into a, like a learning direction. Like you want to, like, for Pretty Deadly, yeah. um, you know, like 19th century people. United States probably isn't your yeah. general background knowledge. Yeah. Right? So. yeah, probably, I don't know. But I think it's really important, because yeah. I think that finally it matters a lot. Like when yeah. it comes to story and when it comes to the aesthetics, like for example, especially in Pretty Deadly, you can just making it everything up because if not, you totally lose the sense of a real environment. Like if you are putting like rabbits that talk and butterflies that talk, and, <laughs> and then you don't pay attention to the far west thing, it's not going to work that well. I mean, yeah. I think about with, uh, with the American Vampire especially, because um, you do a little bit of back and forth in time. Um, is that because in the story you want to do that, or you kind of like learn things about that point in time that like, that's interesting and I want to kind of touch on that a little more and stretch that out? Yeah, I mean, I'm a big, I, I'm like a big Americana guy ever since I was a kid. And um, a lot of the time, sometimes the research will lead me to a place where I wind up doing a story that takes place in that year or era that I didn't know I was going to do. So I try and give myself room to meander, but again, once I start, I try to stop doing any kind of research for it or anything like that. Is there something about it also, because maybe it's just a stuff about it, it only goes so far, far from the present, like, I forget how most recent story is. Uh, the most recent one right now, we're in 1966, so it's sort of space race and all of that, so I always vowed that we'd never do vampires in space. And then we got there and I was like, oh, okay, we'll do it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, well, Raphael, he was like, look how cool this is, and he drew uh, this team of like vampire astronaut things, and I was like, we have to do it, even though it's totally jumping the shark in my own mind, but then we started it, and it's my favorite art, so it's a lot of fun. I mean, you just, the history, the history for me, is a, is a context to sort of explore the characters. Where we, the one thing I try and do um, is make sure that we're never doing an era just to, just to make sure we hit it, you know? To like, do like, like a wink, like, we got that part. Right, well, for example, we're, we're really not, we're not veering into too much of the 60s Haight-Ashbury stuff just because the characters don't really have a lot to do with it, you know? Yeah. So we're trying to really follow their narrative and not worry about whether we get to everything historically. I could see like Nance and Pike did at some point, but that would probably make sense. It's possible. possible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One of the things I was thinking about earlier, um, when you're talking about science fiction and other sort of things, is just kind of like the opportunities you have, um, especially in comics, is to go into all these different directions and just really play and kind of do whatever you want with that. And I guess that's kind of like a big terminology people use. But I'm, I'm interested in how you push your storytelling in ways because you have those opportunities. Using you mean just, uh, you mean how you, how you say, how do you, how do you Like being like less traditional storytelling techniques like you're talking about the giant talking, the, the, the talking rabbits. Story. 
Yeah, and just exploring different ideas through comics. Well, I think, for me at least, I think part of it is just recognizing what you've done and become familiar with, you know, and um, making sure you don't do it again. So I look back at my own stuff a lot and just look and see, you know, I use flashback or I use narration, I use this, how can I get away from that, how can I do stuff I, don't, I haven't done, you know. Intuitively, I use a practical. I, I stopped at the beginning to think about how, in a 24 pages format, I could decompress the most. Mm -hmm. Because what I thought is that for a Western, I really needed to do this wide film, the wide shots. So I ended up coming up with a, with a page layout that is mostly about like the wider spread and then working in small details like insects. Mm -hmm. or developing the action, like it has, because I wanted to find a way to, to catch the vibe of the Sergio Leone movies in which he moves from the, the panoramic uh, shots to the very, very close shots yeah. of the spur of the three or the children, you know. So yeah, I, I ended up coming up with this and I started like developing it and it came supernatural for that stuff. So now when I try to do other projects, it's kind of stuck in me, <laughs> but I need to think about different stuff. Um, for example, when in the in the thin line walking along, it's much more colder, and actually the action barely exists, which is crazy, you know, because I think I'm very good for drawing action in comparison to drawing talking cuts. For yeah. me, it's much easier to draw the animation and everything. Uh, now I'm writing for myself and it's people talking all the time and it's like, it's so boring. <laughs> but you know, I can't help it anyway. So and I, I try to, to adjust part of that diagram to that story too. So it, it and found a different way for making it work. And uh, yeah, it's always changing like that. It's like, weird. Are there preferred things you like drawing or you like writing more than other things? Like you mentioned the action. Hmm. Uh, but it's not happening. It's not going to have a pretty self-date. Uh, well, writing, as far as writing is concerned, I'm just, well, I've written the first graphic novel, the, the proposed three graphic novel thing, Tom Tom McCoo. Um, uh, but going back to your last question, that, that's sort of connected. Yeah. Um, I've always wanted to do comic books with, with no restrictions whatsoever. I ended up doing quite the opposite. All the jobs I've, I've done so far are very commercial, um, with you know very clean ideas of what has to be done, the way things have to be done, the characters have to sound this way and look a certain way. And because of the, the physical restrictions of drawing it, somebody else is waiting in line to ink it, somebody else waiting in line to colour it, letter it, and all this sort of stuff. And I've, I come from a European background where. Sort of Mobius, Bilal, Drew A. The artwork was their responsibility, nobody else's, and that was the finished thing. I'm just getting there in my career now. Uh, even on a commercial book like Doctor Who, I'm actually getting to, to ink it myself, so I'm producing finished artwork and then somebody else pulls it. And I, but I, always, I always want to do the speech balloons, and um, in fact, on. Uh, Um, Tom Lash? No, well, I, I did my own Tom Lash, but there was a job recently I wanted to do the speech balloons. They, they, oh no, I can't do that. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think it was actually. 
But anyway, but I much prefer to do that because um, if, if you buy my book, there's a, a put a page in specifically because of that, um, which was a, a little project a friend and I did. Um, wasn't the mainstream thing, and we've got. I've got them where you can see this, but you've got lettering appearing on. It starts off on a, a blackboard in the, in the background of a pub, and then it's on a beer match someone's holding, and then it's the back of the chair, and it's the back of this guy. And I wanted the, the flow of the story not to be interrupted by these boxes with lettering in. I wanted the lettering to be part of the artwork. And that was an experiment, and I really liked the way it came out. People didn't have any problem reading it. Mm -hmm. um, and so on, on my graphic novel, the Tom Tom McCoop thing, it, there's going to be lots of stuff like that. Um, when I started sketching the whole thing out, I was writing it and sketching it at the same time. Um, I just found myself thinking, well, why do I have to do that traditionally? You know, that, one, one thing I love about comics is that you can, there, there are boundaries to stretch, you know, there, there are limitations to people like to, to work with it. But those boundaries are there to be broken as well. And you know, if you can fit it on, if you, if you can physically print it, you can do anything with comics. I'm, I, I'm very frustrated that I haven't you know, really sort of dove into that, that area yet. But I haven't you know, certainly posted it. Um, and I've forgotten what the last question was. Um, <laughs> most recent question. The things that you, uh, <coughs> like doing more in your creative work than other things do. Um, what you kind of... I, I could, I'm quite happy just being asked to design robots in cities for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> why, why has somebody found me and said, look Dave, we'll give you 20 grand a week. <laughs> <laughs> See, well, what's the, is it too much to ask? Can I just I'm just the light, I'm sort of sweating a lot. Can I just move just splash some water in my face? Yeah, I want to seats. No, is this just the men's room? I can come to you really quick. And it's right across the, uh, the way there. There's the coffee shop there. Do you mind? I'll be right. I'm just like yeah. literally like. <laughs> it's really light. Okay. Yeah. And I think it's okay. Got the most light. Uh, no, it's okay. I'll be. You don't mind? I'm just. I'm like literally like this. I'll be right back. Okay. I'm sorry. I, when I design pages, I have a there's another thing I like about this like. Because action is like kind of naturally, and it look, always looks cool, you know, kind of. So it's easier than, yeah, something hits or, or quiet moment. It's very important, but you have to pay more attention to not drawing only the hits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like either maybe the hands or the acting or something on the table, you know, this kind of stuff. And then I have a problem that it comes when I start doing this organic layout because it also comes pretty natural to me, but I think it gets a lot in the way of uh, waiting the story. So I always try to restrain myself to not doing that so often to prevent the books to be kind of muddy or something. So I like to have the reader a bit confused from time to time because I think it's important. I think it's important, for example, when you are doing an action scene, um, everything happens so phonetically. So you're reading it, and if you're getting lost, it's as if you were in the middle, kind of, right? You know, it's like, so when get fight, a bit beyond, the, a beyond the page, yeah. right? Mm, and with these things about when I used to do magic draw, magic things for the two strings, yeah. or immediately when, when things happen that 
you are reading one page like this and then you have to jump like this to see the other part of the page or something like that. It's like a bit for playing a game with the reader kind of. So, but it has to be a bit controlled because if not, it's going to ruin everything. You know? yeah. If you start doing that and telling all the whole story like that, it's not going to work. But I, I like doing that stuff precisely for weird things or for telling something different. Like, for example, the, the romance song at the beginning of Pretty Deadly, when we do all the, the resume of the story of beauty and death and everything. That comes from a tradition in Galicia, where I live, in Spain, that is about a huge comic strip and a blind person used to sing a song and, you know, singling the, 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 the strips on the panels. Uh, so it was really, really nice to play with the meta thing, like turning that into a real comic and, mm -hmm. you know, being reading the panels inside the other panels. Uh, yeah, the composition is very weird, but at the same time it works because it's that precisely. And we were working with three letters of narrative, like the public, the story inside the, the comic, and the guy from the story, so it was like crazy, you know. But it's very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering if you had watched like El Topo or Mountain, mm -hmm. or was that just a little too close? That's quite close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like, I don't know. It's like, I try to not pay much thought about much thinking about this stuff. Yeah. But on one hand, I can help it, but on the other hand, it's like, okay, move on and just do it and stop worrying. And do you think you're at a point you could watch them now? What? Do you think you could watch them now that you're done yeah. with the first arc? Yeah, I think. Um, I think we'll take some questions. I can see folks that ask questions. Uh, yeah, I've got a question for Dave. Did you start doing Doctor Who before you'd seen any episodes of Capaldi? Way before, yeah. And so, I'm curious as to how you approach that, and also like with, like with absolute fear, lots <laughs> <laughs> of fear. Yeah, um, it was it was very strange. The BBC uh, sent me some photographs that uh, yeah, Capaldi had taken with sort of him standing very stiff in his costume from all different angles, but on one plane. So it was like you know, the same angle of his face, but from you know varying degrees. You know what I mean? <laughs> Does that make sense? Is that the, but but not from above or below. I couldn't sort of see what he actually looked like. Just you know, from. I <laughs> just like the limitations they give you. Well, yeah, it was, it was weird, but the, the, limit, the biggest limitation was was the TARDIS. Um, they, to this day, they still haven't sent me any reference to the TARDIS, I've had to just watch the show. <laughs> and, you know, which wasn't, it wasn't really then going out their way to help, was it? Um, but you know, I ended up using um, just whatever I could find on the internet for, for Capaldi and for, for Clara. Because um, I've got loads of respect for Robbie writing the script before He'd seen the actor in you know, how he was going to do it, and Robbie. Well, he says he said to me that because he's Scottish, he thinks that had a big influence on him, a big advantage, because he sort of felt. I think he must have watched Capaldi in, in some of his other shows, and think, well, okay, he's Scottish, he's going to he's going to revel in that, I think, and he's going to be quite aggressive, quite abrasive, um, but sweet to say, I just got it. 
spot on the script in the, the first issue the second issue it just sounds like he, he, he he'd watched a few of the few of the episodes of course he had did you watch any of the thick of it no I watched, I watched i watched half an episode i thought it was dreadful <laughs> um, what's the Maybe, maybe got a bad episode. He wasn't in it much. I um, kind of got bored watching it because I was waiting for him to. You basically watched the show to watch him abuse people. That's what I was looking forward to. He, didn't really, he, was, he must have been in a good mood on that episode. He wasn't as abrasive as he thought it but I've seen the doctor more abrasive. Um, so yeah, it, it, was, it was very difficult. Um, um, and it was a really odd, odd sensation when the episode first came on because I think I think I finished the first episode, the first issue, and the first episode of the TV show came up, and it was kind of like, it's too late now, you know, <laughs> there he is on screen, and the BBC were very insistent on ironing his face and making him look much younger, I, which I fought against, but unsuccessfully, but now, as I'm getting it, they've approved the artwork, they've never had a problem with it, because I did as I was told, and I did make him look much younger. Um, but I'm making him look a bit older now. I think they're, they're more comfortable with that because he's, he's been accepted as the doctor now. Um, and, you know, people just have to get used to the fact that he's, he's, a, he's a guy with, with creases in his face. <laughs> Let me draw the creases down, please. Mm -hmm. Did the like, television get into the thing? Like, they are telling you, don't do this or do this? Or no, they, ha they haven't interfered. A little bit in the script, I think. They wanted to make sure that Robbie wasn't going off in the direction. Why not with the art? Maybe they wanted to go off in yeah, But no, they've been very really good. Because I only did one illustration for NASA, like, not for the Doctor Who, but for Agents of Field. I did an oh, illustration okay. and everyone was like, well, are you not going to finish this ever? <laughs> I didn't know, like everybody was like, changing from hand to hand, you know, in the studio. Oh, just like that. And each day they were like, no, it's easy, it's not easy, it's not easy, it's not easy. They were like, what? I'm so sorry, I was at peace so bad. I was what? Your table in there, in the teepee they call it? Okay, I'm from Canada. That's not a teepee. No, I ran in and then I, I was like, I should, I'm, I'm sorry. It's totally blowing this panel. But I, uh, <laughs> Yes, I was like, I was. I, did you see me though? I was like, I'm, I'm now like, yes, I'm ready for that light. Completely, <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. If I if I sweat all the way through this chair, I'm just gonna like, power through. Anyway, but yes, I was also like, if I don't pee, I'm gonna embarrass myself on camera. Like, <laughs> so. Well, thank you. What was the question? Did I miss? What did I miss? Uh, we, we had our first audience question. It was about um, Dave's work on Doctor Who. Um, does anyone else have any questions? Not sure. Another one for Dave. Um, what are you finding that you're able to do with the comics visually that they can't or won't or aren't doing with the show? Um, pretty much everything. Uh, visually, because um, well, one reason I, I was never a big Doctor Who fan when I got past the Tom Baker period, which I, I, I loved, I was a big fan then, um, was the frustration that it always looks like a cheap show. And I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a visual snob, I, I have to say, I admit it. If, it's, if a TV show hasn't had enough money spent on it, I can't watch it. 
It doesn't matter how well it's written. Uh, it's similar with the comic book. If it's a brilliantly written book, but I don't like the artwork, I, I can't enjoy it. Um, Stay away from Canadians. What? Stay away from Canadian cinema. Oh, it's Canadian cinema, so right. Or TV. It's all very cheap looking. Right. Well, it can't be anywhere from the BBC, surely. No, it's worse. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know Spanish TV. I know Spanish TV. It goes the other way, though. Well, now with horror and that stuff, I think we are doing quite well. I think TV, really? Yeah. You think television is horrible? Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like right now there's so much good television, I think. Like, more than when I was younger. You know, there's, between the BBC, but Netflix, and at least for episodic storytelling, for me, for, for the month-to-month stuff, it really helps. I, I, love, I love trying to figure out how a season is structured. Mm-hmm. You know, and some shows that are paced very quickly, like Justified, or or uh, The Americans, or those kinds of shows, versus shows like Mad Men, or Deadwood, or things that are paced very differently. Mm-hmm. Just to see how things build, you know? And BBC shows I find especially are yeah, very different. Like, mm-hmm. Spooks is one of my favorite shows. I mean, yeah. I love that. It's awesome. I really <laughs> um, And it's really interesting how they do that, and just really destroy characters on there in a different way. Not yeah. necessarily the same, like, shock and, like, Game of Thrones, but it's just, Just speaking of shows, is there any sort of current shows where you'd like to sort of take a comic and go your own direction? You mean, are there shows that we want to turn into a comic? Shows from TV to turn into comic. I think Doctor Who would make a really good one. Everybody was waiting for me to say that. Uh, I don't watch a lot of TV. I really don't. Um, I've, I've never been a big fan of, of being told the story so visually. I like because I used to because I'm dyslexic, and when I, when I started to try and get over being dyslexic, I started write, reading really heavy books, mm-hmm. like the Silmarillion, for instance. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, if I can read this, I'm not as dyslexic as you know, I'm tell they are. Um, and I just love the concept of my brain doing all the visual thing for me. I think it's probably why I became an artist, because that sort of that fired that, that imagination that became a tool or, or a weapon I could use, you know, get paid for. Um, so I can't really ask. I don't really know that many shows. Well, Scott, yourself? Uh, I can't think of a show that I'd like to make a comic, just because I feel like they're so they're so individuated. Like I love I love the difference between those medium, you know. So there's not something I'd like to see translated, I guess, in that regard, mm-hmm. in that direction. Gotham. Good <laughs> <laughs> I just think of things shows I've seen recently. I, I just want like a Penguin series. That's yeah, <laughs> totally. Fantastic. Yeah. I prefer thinking about new stories, or but only for shows and for comics. I mean, I'm a bit tired of you know having everything in all mediums possible. Or for example, last week came up this news about the Asimov Foundation going to be serious. Yeah. And it's like, okay, how come you are going to do that nowadays? You're going to make uh, make it up 
you know, because it's old school science fiction, it's impossible. To, yeah. <laughs> it's totally out of date, you know. Oh, yeah. It's not working in a show right now. So you're going to make everything up. Why don't you just change the title and, you know, bring us a new sci-fi show and, you know, I understand it has to be sold and everything, but yeah, I think good news stories, I mean, please. There's that de disconnect between what it was and what it becomes. And it's just I think so, like, because I think all this, like, totally is old school sci-fi. I mean, they are going to change, you know, like, the, the, the biological completely because it's not working today, like, with all the new things that people is used to. You know, so. I don't know. I, I'm excited to have a sci-fi show that is going to be well done, it's HBO and everything. But on the other hand, it's like something new. Yeah. Um, at the back there. Uh, uh, just saying, it's good you about uh, comics without restrictions and so forth, and when you talk about like a commercial, I would say to Scott, you write a character Batman Yeah, I mean you do. <clears throat> I think the way I try and justify it on Batman is the emo the violence. I, I worry about the violence sometimes, but uh, for me, as long as it's emotional and psychological violence and anything else is sort of an extension of that, uh, it works. Uh, I can think of a couple times they came down on me, like things I wanted to chop off or things that have <laughs> <laughs> hands and so on. Uh, but for the most part, they've been pretty good. They've given me a lot of latitude with it, honestly. And, you know, the challenges with a character like Batman is to not remember that it's Batman in the way that if you stop and think about it and think of how many of you guys love that character outside of anything we've done and how many kids love Batman and wear t-shirts, it's paralyzing. It gets totally intimidating and I freeze up, you know, I have a lot of anxiety and I just, I can't do it. So the way I try and do it is to imagine that I made him up and this is my version and nobody's reading it and it's just your creator own character. And as long as you do that, you bring something inherently personal to it, I think. And that's, the ch they're inverted challenges, I think, with creator owned and with licensed work. Meaning, for licensed work, the challenge is really to make sure that you make something intensely personal, I think, even though it belongs to everybody. So, for example, like the Joker story that we did, the death of the family one, we did that when my wife was pregnant with her, her second child, and it was largely about the fear that maybe maybe you don't want to be a father, that you're but not a good father, and you know, which is humiliating to put in a story or embarrassing, but I feel like that's part of what you have to do, at least to make it feel original, because the way you make it original is to make it personal with a character that's that story. So those kinds of moves, I think, for me, make me feel better about worrying about what's going to be restricted or not. Because the one thing I'd say, I certainly talk so much about this, but what I would say is just you have to sort of be flexible on things that don't matter because editorial will ask you to change things and they will ask you to put characters in that you're not necessarily prepared for. But as long as you have a compass that says that none of that matters because the story is still about this personal thing and I need to get to these places and the violence or whatever happens is a part of this, 
then you can kind of change a lot of the stuff they want you to change and still get there. I hope that answers that. It was sort of a corn maze answer, like lost in my own thoughts. But, but you know, I, I hope that I hope that kind of gets at what you were talking about. Great. Sure. Thanks. I think we have time for one more question. It's just a question. It's, it relates back into when you were talking earlier about music. Um, reading the weights it's very different tonally from the first half to the second half. Yeah. Were you listening to different things? Do you feel like you've got different rhythms on stories playing? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I mean, I it wasn't so much musical. I mean, I, in terms of listening to things, I listen to the same. I have a lot of trouble listening to music with lyrics when I'm writing. Um, so I don't really listen to a lot of music when I'm writing. I listen to you know classical or jazz or that kind of thing. When I'm editing or looking stuff over, I can listen to music a lot of the time, but. For the wake, I mean, it's more, you just, when things are different, like what I try and do is right before I start something, to really, again, take in a lot of influences that are gonna stay in my mind about that thing. So the first half, I watched, you know, The Thing and Alien and The Abyss and all kinds of, all kinds of also really bad 80s underwater horror movies, you know, like <laughs> deep, deep, what was those one? Like Deep Star Six, I think, this one, it's like, they ran out of money halfway through, so like at the end, the creature literally looks like a muppet or something. <laughs> so I try and take in all of that stuff, and then, and then really, once it goes, to be able to say, um, I'm gonna work in a vacuum and just make sure. I, I, I guess you just. For me, I mean, I love, I love sort of trying to absorb all of that, and then once I start, yeah, to just block it out and say. The challenge, and again, both your guys' work, like Pretty Deadly, for example, was a book that I looked at a lot before I was um, starting Witches because it's so different and brave. And one of the things I'd say, maybe on a note, kind of, because I know we're running out of time, and I again apologize for being so um, inarticulate about this stuff, but it's such a great time in comics right now in the way that creator-owned is supported in a way that it never, it, it wasn't, I mean, even just five years ago. I mean, the fact that you guys put so much support behind books like Pretty Deadly or Witches or those things and that we can make those projects sustainable, it makes you want to be more daring and it makes you want to say, well, I'm going to, I owe it to you guys in some way to show you that I can do something that I didn't know I could do myself. And so it, it, you constantly want to challenge yourself and do things that you haven't. And it's an incredibly exciting and intimidating but inspiring moment. So with something like The Wave, that was... That book, the, the thing I would say about it is that that book was, a, that was the point of that book. I was working on Batman and Superman, and I love both those characters, but I realized, like, I'm just doing licensed stuff, and it's starting to kill me. Yeah. So I'm going to just, I'm just going to do a book that's basically about breaking every rule for myself that I know I'm not supposed to break, where you kill everybody halfway through, and you change genres, and all of it. So... But all of it speaks to, again, the fact that you guys at places like this are so incredibly supportive of us doing books that, you know, even a, a decade ago or half a decade ago might not have been able to be as supported, yeah, and it's just a wonderful time for that, you know, so. Uh, well, thank you for having us, though. It's a good, good note to end on. Thank you, Scott, Dave, Emma. Thank you all for coming. Beauty tender glow extinguished 
the sky dull from a breeze. Ghostly the dawn was out its rent, uncanny, estranged to our nature, the light like lead. Ripped in the dark, a tiny sickle, as small as cut by a surgical knife. The sun's last spark melts away, not unlike a dying wind. on this and crushes my heart Tom.